another another thing that's been surprising is the the stories that you get from people who never have been a part of the programs as we've thought of them in the past. And and that's been one of the most powerful things, right? Because the minute you put something in a book um, and it's a well-written book and well-received, you start to get stories of people who are like, oh my God, I read your book and it changed my life. Um, and so the realization that the, the things that we've been teaching that require people to come together we're also teachable in other ways and still able to deeply impact people's lives. I think that was pretty profound for us. You're listening to Relish This, the Purpose Marketing Podcast. Here's your host, Stu Swineford. Hey everybody, Stu here. My guest today is David Sherda, and he is the founder or one of the co-founders and the CEO of No Barriers. And No Barriers is this amazing organization that really helps people of all types um, kind of live their best lives. They've, they have this process that's, that's just incredible. And he's actually written a book about it that I read that was amazing. And so I re- really recommend that you take a peek at both No Barriers and this episode. Um, you know, because there's a lot of good stuff in here. We talked a ton about about story building, about how to uh, leverage your materials in a variety of different ways to get to get great content that you can distribute across a variety of platforms, as well as desert, diversifying your revenue. So I think it's a good episode for everyone. Um, I encourage you to take a listen, and here we go. David, how are you today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on the show. Well, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. It's fun to have a seasoned podcaster on the show. Um, so I'm I'm excited to to get your insights and and everything about what you guys are are up to at No Barriers. Yeah, me as well. I'm excited for a good conversation. It's kind of fun to be on the receiving end of the podcast uh, scenario every once in a while. I've found it's kind of kind of refreshing to step back into that uh, that space on occasion. So I hope hope we have a good conversation. Yeah, yeah, it is fun having done. You know, uh, we just did our hundredth episode of the No Barriers podcast, and um, it's it's definitely fun to be on the flip side and see what our guests are experiencing by coming on other podcasts. Yeah, for sure. Do you guys do one a month? I, I noticed, I think that it said that you did 12 last year. Is that about your, your cadence? No, we do them weekly. Okay, cool. Yeah, cool. I don't know where I saw where, where my brain uh, went when I saw whatever it was that I saw. So I'm, I'm yeah, glad. we, we moved to a weekly model back over a year ago. Now it was definitely, uh, COVID inspired. We'd been doing a couple per month, and then mm-hmm. uh, just because of the No Barriers themes around you know resiliency and, and hope and optimism in the face of great adversity, the No Barriers podcast seemed more relevant than ever. So we kept going with a weekly, and we've been doing that ever since. Wow, that sounds great. And you and Eric are the main hosts of that show. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. And then uh, we have a third host that comes sometimes, uh, Jeff Evans, who is Eric Weimer's longtime lifelong climbing partner. Oh, cool. That's, that's a really good group of good, good group of people to have on, on the show asking people fun questions, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. It's been great. It's, it's such a good way to, um, 
for us at least to explore even in greater depth what our mission is all about by having regular conversations with really extraordinary individuals who are going through struggle. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I love what you guys are doing over there. Um, and I, I really like that you have a podcast that kind of fuels that, that expansion of that mission or the, the ability to, to kind of reach a wider audience. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's been a great way to expand our audience to people all over the globe. As you know, podcasts can be picked up pretty much anywhere. And so mm-hmm. it's been a good strategy for doing that. And then also, uh, more recently for, uh, ongoing content snippets that we are re-releasing to our community, right? So you've got the full podcast, but there's creative things you can do with audio to just release 60 second segments out to our community and continue to engage folks in that way. Yeah, absolutely. I talk a lot on, on this show and then with, with clients, um, particularly those in the nonprofit space about content creation. It's, it tends to be a real challenge. Um, people, you know, have a hard time kind of wrapping their arms around, how content can work in in kind of all four phases of the of that in life cycle that the audience engagement life cycle um where it it can act as an as an attraction piece and and a, even helping connect you know people kind of feel like they know you a little bit more through podcasts it feels like it's a it's a little more tangible um as well as bonding and then inspiring people to to take further action so it's really it's really a great source for for content uh that i think a lot a lot of uh nonprofits should should be looking at yeah i completely agree and and it's uh, in terms of the podcast releases, it's not too difficult to execute on. There's lots of great you know products and services out there, and it's it's pretty affordable too, right? So it's it's a really great way to generate great content that in a, in an affordable manner that just like you said helps with all those four phases. Yeah, it's it's interesting to me how you know podcasting and just creating you know, whether it's video content or or you know, interview type type of stuff can then be transitioned into other forms of, um, of outreach. So, you know, if you, if you do a show, you can look back through that show and see what blog posts can come out of it or what, you know, little snippets of information can be shared in a variety of different ways. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're just starting these kind of 60, 60 to 90 second, uh, no bears reflections that are going to be uh, some of our video content from, you know, 20 years of work uh, and some of it will be our audio content as well. And, um, you know, content is king nowadays. So having such incredible archives of content is really important and having different ways to distribute it. And the nice thing about a podcast is at least the way we do it, you know, we transcribe it all. So you've already right. got a full narrative. We're already spending time picking out the the most compelling, you know, short clip from the segment that we play at the beginning of the podcast. So we already have to go through and pick out some really compelling clips. Right. And so those clips can then be repurposed for distribution across all different kinds of channels. Yeah, it's great. I I think the other thing is you, particularly in the nonprofit space, your audiences are, are really diverse in terms of, you know, it's not just one uh, segment of the population that, that tends to you know, get their content a, a certain way. Um, and so being able to repurpose that, um, you know, you've, you've already put in the effort to create it the first time. 
but but being able to take that and then kind of syndicate it in a variety of different channels um, allows you to really reach out to to a whole host of different uh, audience types. Yeah, definitely, and and certainly as you if you have a guest format like we're doing here, you know your guests are often going to be the you know the best promoters of each podcast episode. So you're introducing yourself to new audience simply by bringing on new guests. So we're, we're finding it to be a great tool for, for growing, you know, our No Barriers community around the globe. Yeah, that's awesome. So tell, tell me a little bit more about No Barriers and where, where you guys are and, and a little bit of history and, and, you know, what you're trying to accomplish here in, in uh, hopefully uh, moving toward a post-pandemic sort of world. Yeah, well, you know, No Bears has been around for nearly 20 years. I'm one of the founders. Uh, it was co-founded by a guy by the name of Eric Weimer, who we mentioned earlier in our conversation. Eric, many people may recognize his name. He's the first blind man to reach the seven summits, the highest peak on every uh, continent. Went on to kayak more recently, the full length of the Grand Canyon. So he's an adventurer who happens to be blind. He's a public speaker. Um, and he and I started this with a team of folks back 20 years ago. And, and No Bears is really about helping people who have challenges, and that's all of us, um, to think of adversity in a new way as the fuel that can actually propel you forward to be your best self. And so at No Barriers, what we're doing is we're helping people tap into the light inside of us that knows anything's possible despite what's in our way. Um, you know, our, our tagline kind of sums it up. We're teaching people that what's within you is stronger than what's in your way. And, and we do it with all different kinds of programs, uh, both in-person, virtual, you know, stories, books, movies, all different ways of bringing that message to life. And, and it's, a, it's a fascinating um, way to kind of inspire and move people. And it's not tied to any one specific population. So we work with veterans with disabilities, but we work with kids. We work with teachers, companies. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a really a universal message that... All of us, as we go through life, are going to encounter some great adversity. All of us uh, crave uh, purpose and meaning in life. And we operate at this interesting intersection between our kind of quest for purpose and meaning in life and the realization that living that life, you often get derailed and things don't go the way you plan. And, and how do you get through that? So that's a, that's no barriers in a nutshell. Yeah, it's it's such a great mission. I I personally have done, you know, a few things that would I think, you know, go into the category of of putting intentional hardship or barriers in front of myself and and you know, we joke in the skiing world that if you're not falling down every once in a while, you're not going hard enough. Um and you know, certainly one of one of the things that I decided just kind of on a whim to do back in my late 30s was to was to try and run the Leadville 100. And, and the first year that I tried it, I had no idea what I was doing and I didn't end up finishing. And it just sort of haunted me for the next three years. And I finally went back and finished it, but just taking on that challenge and, and, and all of the, all of the commitment that was required to get that done. And, and then, you know, finally succeeding, um, it, it really, you know, changed the way that I looked at, at, you know, life, I guess, in a lot of ways. And it's, it's great to hear how, how you and your crew are, are 
you know, helping people with that same sort of, of, um, mindset or that, that same sort of adventure. Yeah. I mean, that's a perfect example of that idea of when we push ourselves to stretch beyond our comfort zone and, and try something new that we, we often, it's, it's the most fertile learning space for learning about ourself and, and the world uh, around us. You know, one of our No Bears board members and someone who's been really moved by our work is a woman by the name of Mandy Harvey, who some of your listeners may know. Mandy uh, was a finalist on Ameris, America's Got Talent. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's a deaf jazz vocalist, completely deaf. And she learned uh, as she was studying music before she was deaf, when she was in college, uh, she learned that she had this rare uh, condition that was going to cause her to go deaf. And she oh, gave wow. up on music for, for quite a while and went into a dark and depressed space. But then um, decided with her father, maybe I should try singing again a little bit and, and found that she still had perfect pitch. Um, and uh, I'm telling this story because uh, Mandy's sort of a classic example of someone who uh, an unexpected adversity hit her hard. And uh, we then celebrate her story of rising to America's Got Talent, where her performance was seen by half a billion people on the planet. But really, Mandy's story is about a series of much smaller steps outside of her comfort zone. The first one being to actually sing it again to her father. The next one being to sing in front of a few people, then in front of a few more people, then to write her first song, which No Bears inspired her to do, and then to write her own music. And now she's a jazz you know, superstar by many accounts with her own career in music. And I think that the, the, the process of just taking small and manageable steps. It's not always the Leadville 100 or trying to be on America's Got Talent. It's like, hey, what's something that scares me a little bit that uh, feels like something I kind of want to do, but I'm afraid of? The minute you step into that space, uh, you end up learning an incredible amount about yourself and uh, you grow tremendously. Yeah, absolutely. That's just a really great sentiment to for I think all of us to wrap our arms around and the, you know, the other piece of it is that most, most things you don't have to do all at once. Um, and so if you can just, you know, chop it up into little bite-sized bits, it tends to, tends to be able to, you, you tend to make, make progress toward that bigger goal. Um, so it sounds like, you know, Mandy took, took a bunch of little steps to, to get to some really big achievements. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're one thing we, we probably all know about ourselves and we certainly see this at no barriers is we're actually really bad at setting uh, manageable goals for ourselves. This is why, you know, 90% estimated people who take a new year's resolution never fulfill it. (laughs) What we tend to do is we, we set these crazy things that are going to be very hard to attain and don't realize that you have to start small. Now at no barriers, we also teach you have to have a broader vision, much bigger than yourself and much longer term, but that each individual step needs to be small and manageable or, you know, like we feature in our, our book, what's within you, um, the idea of Taoism, which is, you know, a journey of a thousand miles is a single step. You've got to have that starting point. And for someone like Mandy, it was a bunch of trial and error, something she failed at, something she succeeded in. Um, But eventually over time, it evolved into this, you know, 
epic story. And, you know, the story of our co-founder, Eric Weimer is, is pretty similar. You know, obviously he didn't start off as this amazing individual who could just go climb Everest despite not being able to see, you know, it started right. off with much smaller steps. And so getting better and better at that process, um, can help us feel more, uh, successful and, and keep our momentum going forward. Right. Right. Yeah. It's, uh, really valuable lessons that I, I think that, that those of us who run organizations or are, you know, are engaged in some, you know, some big plan, um, it's, it's good to keep track of that <laughs> because, you know, on a day-to-day -day basis, it, it can feel a little overwhelming at times, um, you know, no matter what journey you're on, but just kind of making sure that you have that North star and that you're tracking toward it, I think is, um, it's really super valuable. Yeah. I mean, I think that where some of our folks that we serve and, you know, we, we work with tens of thousands of people every year and now in COVID times have millions of people watching, you know, videos and stuff that we produce. But I think what we find is that some people get their, um, their specific goal confused with their North star, right? So, for someone like Eric, the North Star was not to become the first guy that climbed Everest. For someone like Mandy, it was not to get to the America's Got Talent. Or for you, it probably isn't, you know, Leadville 100. You know, the individual goals like that, no matter how big and bold, um, are just that. They're goals and that um, we need to tie our goals first and foremost to something that we have to spend a lot more time on, which is what is our North Star? What is our vision for ourselves and, and our role in the world and the impact we're going to have? And how do we put that down on paper? And how do we start to align every aspect of our life um, towards that, that vision, that broader vision for who we want to be in this world? Right. Is that, are those components of the programs that you run at No Barriers? Is that a, a part of it? Is helping people kind of figure that out? Yeah. Yeah. You can't, you can't see me here on this podcast, obviously, but I'm sitting in my office, which I'm thankful to be back at after a long period away due to COVID. But there's, there's seven principles on my wall here in my office that we teach. And um, we're really hovering around two of them. The first one being vision, mm -hmm. um, which is this idea of just like you said, that North Star and how do you define it? How do you redefine it? Uh, especially in the midst of challenge and adversity, how do you how do you rediscover what your vision really is? Right. And then the second one we call reach, which is about reaching into the unknown and the darkness uh, outside your comfort zone. And so throughout our programs, no matter how you're engaging with us, whether it's an online course or reading our, our book or coming in person, you're learning these principles that we have studied over 20 years that great and extraordinary leaders use to get through adversity. Oh, that's really cool that, uh, that that's just baked into the, to, to everything you guys do. I love it. So in terms of your, your program, are you, are you funded by donations? What's the, what's the mechanism by which you're able to, to do all this great work with people? Yeah. Well, there's sort of the, the pre COVID story and then there's the post COVID story. So, uh, a year and a half ago, I would have said that we are funded 60% uh, by donations and 40% by fee-for-service revenue. And of the donations, roughly half of our donations come from uh, corporate partners, okay. either through their foundations or their marketing departments. And the other half comes from individual donors. 
Um, the forty percent that was fee for service was largely people paying uh, to come in person to uh, some of our programs, uh, primarily our youth programs that used to be in uh, twenty different countries around the world, uh, where you would travel to different places. And so, uh, post COVID, all that fee for service revenue that used to be uh, tied to coming together in person has, has for the most part dried up. And so, you know, now I would say we're nearly one hundred percent funded by donations, and those donations are split between companies, uh, individuals, and some foundation support. Gotcha. Have, have you, have you learned any tricks over the last few months to, uh, to help fuel the, the donor engagement? Was it, was it, you know, kind of normal from, from 19 to 20 or was, was it, you know, how did it, how did it go? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that you, you mean uh, since COVID hit. Yeah, yeah. Since you've started relying uh, pretty much primarily on on donations and foundation support and, and corporate. Yeah, support. I mean, I think that like for us, you know, in the the foundation and corporate sponsorship world, uh, we've always known it's all about you know good relationships. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you have to deliver on the promise of what you're negotiating and have a really good. Um, you know, story to back it up, but to us, maintaining those relationships with donors has always been really important. And so in when COVID struck and we had to cancel all of our in-person programming uh, for over a year, you know, having that, that important foundation of the relationships we already had built was one thing. And then second, continuing to tell the story of how you're impacting lives. Because if you think about no barriers for 17 years, all people really knew about us where was about our in-person experience. And so for us, we had to make sure that we showed our donors uh, primarily through the power of story that despite the fact that they knew us as this in-person experiential program, that we were still doing extraordinary things in the virtual world. Right. That's great. What, what mechanisms do do you use to stay in touch? Is it primarily just, email list or are you are you hosting virtual events or what's what's been working well for you yeah it's a it's a mix right so we have our social channels and for us those are primarily facebook and instagram um that's where we have our biggest communities um we haven't ventured out into the world of TikTok yet and, right. and other the more most up and coming ones. But um, so we have our social channels. We're engaging with folks. We have our email lists. Um, and then we developed um, a membership community for our alumni and our donors that they could join and start to participate in what started in COVID times as weekly events um, and then move to every other week. And then as we had some fatigue from (laughs) (laughs) um, Zoom fatigue, moved to more like as we had really compelling things to invite people into. And so for us, there were a lot of ways we were trying to keep folks engaged. Um, And I would say other than the email lists and the the, um, social stuff, which which we've been doing forever, um, it was really sort of exploring this new world of um, membership-based weekly events, um, courses you could take together, um, in a community, kind of like a book club. Okay. Those are some of the newer things we are exploring. Oh, that's really interesting. We're, tell me a little bit about the courses that you put on kind of in this virtual space. Yeah. Well, you know, I think we, we had a bit of an advantage now with what, what we're seeing with kind of zoom fatigue, because we went into it saying, geez, 
for 17 years, all we've ever done is, for the most part, in-person uh, experiences. So if we're going to go into this virtual space, how do we take the beauty and magic of those in-person experiences and try to create them into an online course experience? We had about five years ago had some companies invest in the development of an online course experience that brought people through our seven life elements at their companies. So we had some cool. experience in how do you teach the principles online. But our first focus was um, how do you how do you make this be uh, something that's experiential, interactive with other people, and that isn't just sitting on a computer. And so um, what we did is, uh, I would say some of the most interesting things we did is we started with the idea of a core, a physical course kit that when you enroll in our course gets mailed to you mm. and has uh, unexpected surprises in it. It has sort of release points that's like, do not open this until such and such date. Right. And then when you open it, you are, you know, you get your, you know, your assignment or your adventure, as we call it, your, your no barriers mission. Um, we, in our uh, more intense courses, like what we did for veterans at home last fall, tied to Veterans Day, you would get these missions um, and you'd be put into what we called rope teams, which is in keeping with a philosophy we teach. And you'd have a team of six or seven members, uh, fellow veterans who were doing their mission together you know they do it on their own but then they'd come together once a week and share it and then we had professional facilitators facilitating discussion with those veterans and so we combined sort of like yes you could come and attend an event and hear dave and Stu speak about something brilliant and ask them questions which is pretty common in the zoom world today with these at-home kits and small breakout groups and kind of what we're finding is that um People still really crave the small, honest discussions yeah. about um, tough things, but it's got to be, um, you know, just like I said, it's got to be small. So that's like five to eight people in, yeah. in our minds, right? Yeah. And although you can deliver uh, short bits of content to a bigger group, um, you know, like where where we could wax eloquently about the the philosophy for five minutes, what people really want is to break up and and actually talk to each other in honest conversation. Right. Yeah. That's what I found with, you know, in the entrepreneurial space, there's a, there are a, a number of kind of organizations like EO or, or Vistage or um, YPO that have that kind of a model where, where there's a big group, but that group is split into smaller groups and those smaller groups, you're able to build a lot of trust and, um, and be able to come in and, and feel, you know, very confident that, that you can share, you know, whatever is going on, good or bad in, in your life and get, get that kind of support, um, that that's really, you know, all of us crave and all of us need. Um, you know, most of the time I think that, that we, we feel like we're islands, right. Where, yeah. where it's like, Oh, well, this is the first time that this has ever happened to anybody. And, and what was me? And, and if you can have a real trusted, you know, tight knit group like that, that, you can you can pretty quickly understand that nope everybody else has gone through a similar uh, a similar challenge or at least you know something that's analogous to that um, so that's a really really cool way to do that are you doing that through like breakout rooms in Zoom or is it or is it more formal uh, as you as you build those groups um, to to kind of get it together yeah great great question so yeah when we when we launch say a mm -hmm. course like let's say a month long course. Um, it's a combination of things. So we use a, mm -hmm. a course platform called Thinkific. And that is for uh, 
where you can have virtual discussion groups, not in, not live, but more uh, like little group discussions that you can type into. You can consume your static content, a video. You can grab mm-hmm. your mission from there if you didn't receive it in a kit. And then we combine that with Zoom breakout groups primarily. Um, we did a similar thing with... Um, without Zoom breakout groups, it was for more of our big uh, conference-based experience, which we call our No Barriers Summit, um, where we still had that same philosophy as how do you create community engagement. And we use a platform called Hopin for that, which um, we found to be pretty effective as well. Nice. Yeah, those are great, great shares. I I know that there are a lot of people out there struggling with with what tools to use. And and, um, so it's always good to get get other... Uh, other options for people. And the second one was hop, hop in. Is that what you said? Yeah. H H O P I N. Nice. And that was for the big group. And that, yeah, that was more like we, we host an annual conference. So that one had, you know, 5,000 registrants, um, a million, you know, one, 1.3 million views of different aspects of, you know, our keynote speakers and such. And then, but what we liked about hop in and what we continue to look for is platforms that allow people to both, view and consume content, but interact with each other, right? Right. And so um, Zoom is great, we find, for the that smaller group. We've done it for, you know, up to a couple hundred mm-hmm. where you still break out into groups. But, um, you know, when you're, when you're talking about 5,000 people or 10,000 people or, you know, a million people live streaming, um, it's, it's a, it, we have found it to be less effective for that. Right. Gotcha. So... So in terms of, of, you know, 2021, are, are things changing for you guys? Are you opening, seeing things open back up where, where you can start to hold in-person events again? Or what, what is, you know, what's the next few, what are the next few months look like? Yeah. So we decided to open up in-person programming for our uh, 16 and over populations um, back in the fall and uh, early in January, we were meeting with various organizations that, um, you know, Our Bound, Knowles, National Tour Leadership School, several smaller organizations, just all talking about, like, what are people planning to do? And for us and, and the things we were considering, we felt we could be pretty confident back in January that adult programming would be um, feeling good and safe. We thought vaccines would be widely distributed to the adult population by then. Mm-hmm. Um, we felt a little bit more gun shy about our student programs. And so what we decided to do is starting in July, we'll be hosting many of our adult programs, not you know certainly a scale back. So we'll be hosting our veterans uh, expeditions and uh, retreats, our caregiver retreats. We're hosting a much smaller in-person version of our conference. It's an outdoor conference, though, mm-hmm. um, and we're eliminating the indoor parts of it. So that'll probably be three or four hundred people instead of five thousand. Right. Um, so we did have to make some pivots. Our our big annual event that we had been planning to do in San Francisco was going to be in the Giant Stadium. Um, And we decided that that probably wasn't a great idea (laughs) for a variety of reasons. Uh, And so, you know, we moved that to Colorado, a basin, outdoor, smaller uh, community. So that's a little bit of our decision-making process. We hope that all of our youth programs will come back into full force by next year, but um, didn't feel confident in this year bringing together in person for kids. Yeah. It's just been super fluid. I mean, you know, I remember this time last year, people were, were pretty excited about the, the, 
you know, we'd be able to, to be back to fairly normal by October. Um, and clearly that, that didn't, didn't quite right. pan out, but, um, you know, I, I think that having some, having some hope and continuing to, to do some planning around, around these things and, and is, is probably the way to, that most, most nonprofits should start to handle it. I know I'm on the board of a couple of nonprofits and, and one is, is planning a kind of a, a half and half virtual and in-person, um, event in, in late September. So that, you know, the idea there is that by, by then we're, we have enough vaccination, um, you know, compliance that we can, we yep. can get uh, exactly. of people back together again. Yeah. And that's kind of the way we went with our big event was, which is at the end of August, it's going to be part in person, but virtual. So one of the, the benefits to us of what happened last year is when you kind of strip away all the energy and, um, team members that are dedicated to the in-person you're left with, okay, well, what's left in front of bears. We thankfully have this whole philosophy. We teach that um, we always said we wanted to be a global organization and had, you know, individual global participants from various things like our podcast or our, our summit. But when you kind of take away all that in-person work and you say, gosh, how, how might we impact people's lives? We have had incredible scale in our impact this mm -hmm. year. So, um, you know, we released, uh, we, we fast tracked a book about our philosophy that we weren't, you know, didn't know we were going to release last year, but we thought it'd be a great time to do it. So we did that. It became a bestseller. Awesome. We, we never had done virtual, um, conferences and we had, instead of having, you know, a few thousand people come in in person to a conference. We had, you know, over a million people pay attention to it through live stream. We had tens of thousands of people engage in it. Um, so what we found is how are we going to, as we move forward into, you know, this hybrid approach, how do we still lean into the things that really worked for right. us and help us achieve scale? Another thing we did was we'd always talked about being bilingual. So sometime in the next week or two here, all of our stuff is going to come out in Spanish and in English now. And cool. that was something we could totally control in times of COVID, right? Like, why not? You know, we've got energy to put there. Let's make it bilingual. And now our curriculum will be bilingual in schools and our, our conference is going to be bilingual. So there's been some good parts for us to, to kind of lean into that, that aspirational goal of reaching exponentially more people. Um, but of course, we're excited to have those deeply <laughs> kind of intimate, transformative, in-person things come back as well. Yeah, absolutely. So, tell me a little bit about the book. I'm I'm excited to to see that you that you put a book out. Um, how is that How is that working for you? I mean, it sounds like it is working really well. If it's a if it's a bestseller. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, the board president Tom Lilling and I. Uh, had been talking about this with the board for a while, pre-COVID, um, and we decided to go for it. We uh, wrote this book. It's called What's Within You, Your Roadmap to Living Life with No Barriers. Um, and you can grab it on, on Amazon or any number of places where you buy books. Mm -hmm. But what we decided to do, and this was, you know, thankfully that it had been something we'd been talking about before COVID was, you know, how do we put the principles that we teach in our in-person programs into a book that's part how-to, part uh, philosophy of um, and part research base. So it goes through um, the seven principles that we teach. And it starts really with um, powerful stories of how these principles have transformed people's lives. But then it, you know, a lot of what we teach at No Bear is about how you overcome adversity. 
goes back to ancient philosophies of how to live life. And so it, it teases out sort of the philosophy of the approach. Mm-hmm. And then it's practical too. It's, it's kind of like we envision this book being a tattered book that you go back to and you say, oh, oh yeah, I need that reminder. How, how might I go about and um, become a better you know, alchemist, as we call it, someone who's more optimistic in the face of adversity. What about what are those principles that Nobiris teaches? Yeah. So, it was it was exciting and and fast paced to put it together, and um, came out with it back in last summer. And uh, like I said, it became an Amazon bestseller, and now we're continuing to use that. As you know, you know, books can be a great way to be um, get you into new you know, partnerships. Mm -hmm. It's kind of like a, it's a great business card and it's, it's really, you know, we got some incredible um, advocates behind the book and that whole process of learning how to launch a book was really exciting. Thankfully we had people from our community, like Eric Weimer has written many best-selling books. Mandy Harvey had a best-selling book. J.R. Martinez, one of our ambassadors had a best-selling book. So we had a lot of people helping us. Oh, that's great. It's always good to have a have a team behind you that's that's gone down that path before. What were some of the some of the things that you found that were like unexpected in terms of of once you rolled the book out? Were there any any surprises that you that you were like, oh wow, I never never anticipated that happening? Well, I wanted it to become a bestseller, but it was surprising. I didn't, <laughs> you know, I wasn't like, oh my gosh, this is going to happen. Um, so so that was surprising. Another another thing that's been surprising is the the stories that you get from people who never have been a part of the programs as we've thought of them in the past mm-hmm. and and that's been one of the most powerful things right because the minute you put something in a book um, and it's a well-written book and well received you start to get stories of people who are like oh my god I read your book and it changed my life um, and so the realization that the the things that we've been teaching that require people to come together mm-hmm. were also teachable in other ways and still able to deeply impact people's lives. I think that was pretty profound for us. Um, so, you know, we just a side story. We had someone um, in, in India, actually uh, a teacher in India read our book recently. And then he wrote me this you know beautiful note about what it had meant to him and, and requested that he could take, the course tied to the book um, for free because he came from a you know poor community, mm-hmm. and then he said, "I want to bring this to all of my students." And he has a school that brings kids from all over India that are in college to study leadership. And so um, we you know did a live presentation to those kids. It was very moving. They've read the book. Now they're going to take our course, you know. And so these are the kinds of things that without the book you would never have happened, right? Mm-hmm. You, you start to reach folks that you never knew. Well, you knew they were out there, but they didn't really have a way to engage with you. Mm-hmm. So it, it opened, you know, new doors in that sense as well. Yeah, I think that we, you know, we we all tend to think of of the internet or our website or our social media platforms as as the the way that we're going to achieve that scale. And a lot of times, it's just good old fashioned um, book writing or creating yeah. creating a you know something that you can that you can share that people. Uh, you know, can kind of wrap their arms around and, and, um, and dig into can be, you know, what really fuels that growth. For sure. Yeah. And even, you know, you asked what else was surprising, like, you know, one of the pieces of advice as you're getting your your book together is to get, you know, people to pre-read it Mm -hmm. and give you testimonials and, and just kind of like the number of, you know, 
quasi celebrity people who actually read our book and said good things about it. You know, like on the cover of the book is uh, Dr. Jane Goodall, mm-hmm. a quote from her about uh, this being an incredibly inspiring book about people uh, that illustrate the indomitable human spirit. You know, you get these quotes from people like, wow, Dr. Jane Goodall read my book and actually had something really good to say about it. Um, and then of course that, you know, opens doors to new communities that you can reach. Yeah. I think the other thing, and and this is something from a, you know, from a marketing standpoint, when we, when we start talking about or, or recommending that, that our clients think, consider writing a book is it just is a validation tool. Um, and even if people haven't read it, they see, oh, well, this guy wrote a book. So, so, you know, Dave, David must know what he's talking about. Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, it's a it, we yeah, it's a great credentializer. Um, so it gives you those those street cred. It makes people feel that you're legitimate. I think that's really true. It also op- opens up and you know, like if it has any level of success, like we're able to say ours is an Amazon bestseller. Like then people are interested in having you come and speak in ways that are you know gives you this window of having a platform then to go out and tell more people about your mission. You know, our book, hundred percent of proceeds goes to the nonprofit. So mm-hmm. um, we, it, it created a, a smaller, you know, but new revenue stream for people hiring us to speak and also just a way to reach new people and a reason for them to say, Oh my gosh, this is relevant and new and we need this now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, that's really, that's really great. I'm, I'm happy to hear that. That's the experience that you guys, that you guys had. I mean, certainly, um, you know, people are always looking for, for good, good people to bring in to speak to their conferences and, and things of that nature. And so I'm sure having, having a book, uh, particularly a bestseller, um, under your, under your wing, uh, is helpful there. Yeah, for sure. What's, what's new for you guys or what's, what's coming up? Where are you looking for? You know, I'm, I'm assuming you have a, a big master plan just based upon your, you know, your seven, uh, seven tenant approach. What, what's the big picture look like for you here in the next five, five to 10 years? Yeah, well, we certainly try to practice what we preach. So we, we have our uh, big, hairy, audacious goal, which we set, you know, four years back, that's supposed to be accomplished sometime in the next 10 to 20 years. And, um, you know, without getting into the details of all of it, the basic idea is that we, over the next five to 10 years, really want to be known as uh, the, the most reputable source globally for learning to break through barriers and harness them to achieve your purpose. So that's, that's the big bold goal. Obviously it's broken down into achievable chunks, just like we teach and it's broken down into more practical language that would let us know when we're getting towards that. Right. But we're, we're, we're definitely sort of aspiring to lean into this thing that we created, you know, 20 years ago that was uh, largely based on, you know, tens of thousands of people coming together in person to, to have these experiences and saying, well, no, let's, Let's be that global organization that is widely known as the organization that teaches you best how to break through the challenges you face and be your best self in spite of those challenges. What do you think the the challenges are to to reaching that goal? Oh, there's lots of them, right? Of course, like there's uh, you've got uh, competitors, you know, lots of competition in the space. Mm-hmm. You could say we're in the self-help space. There's a lot of people in that space. Um, so that's certainly one. Uh, for us, 
uh, holding true to the global aspiration, but also the um, kind of the, the close human thread that ties it all together. Right. Because for us, you know, you could, if you have the right amount of money, you could probably pay to have, you know, as many views as you wanted of whatever it is you want to have viewed, but that doesn't really mean that you're transforming lives. And so sure. one of the things we talk about a lot is this balance or as, I, as we call it, it's sort of the polarity between scale and depth. And for us walking that line of knowing that, Hey, even when we can say we have that scale, what really matters to us is that we have a deep impact on the people who really engage with us. Right. And so kind of keeping that, holding that true and, and not being too swayed by, you know, just shouting high in the mountaintop, the big numbers of people reached, but really, you know, Eric and I and our board say, Hey, we could, even if we reached 7 billion people and we could say that what really matters to us is that we can truly still say that we're changing people's lives through this work. And so how do you scale while um, still having that depth is certainly a challenge. And then of course, like any, you know, business, Money is a challenge, right? Mm -hmm. Like, how do you figure out the um, revenue drivers uh, that will help you scale and grow and have that deep impact? Um, those are, you know, some of the things that come to mind for those challenges that I see. Yeah, it's 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 really interesting to to kind of think through all of those all of those hurdles and and how to navigate them, and particularly as you're scaling, you know, with with such a hands on, um, personalized sort of model. Um, you know, how do you, how do you achieve that scale, um, and still give people those, you know, that rich, fulfilling experience that's, that is going to change, change a life. Um, and I can imagine that you're working on that as well. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the interesting things that we're working on now is to acknowledge that part of the desire, part, part of that global vision is, is really about how do you market yourselves and how do you grow awareness and kind of that top of funnel approach, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got to have the dollars to do that and we've got to have the vision to do that and to tell that story well. But at the same time, um, you know, just as we were talking about with sort of Zoom and best practices of small groups, like really when you think about how you build community, you don't build it by the millions, right? Mm -hmm. You build it by the handfuls. And so, um, some of the interesting work we're doing right now is how do we build these small communities of individuals, um, even if they're only 5, 10, 50, 100 people that are really kind of the lifeblood of that human thread that ties it all together. Mm -hmm. What are those communities doing? How do you keep them engaged in meaningful work? How do you connect them with each other? Um, so that's some of the really interesting work we're doing. We just brought on uh, as our uh, new head of marketing, someone who had been on our board, this guy by the name of Luis Gallardo, who used to be the uh, global CMO for Deloitte. Oh, cool. Uh, and he had developed a, a nonprofit called the Happiness Fest. And one of their models was to have these groups, they call them Agoras, that are you know, five, 10 people in 80 cities. Mm -hmm. And they're really the the brand advocates and they're doing a lot of the, the volunteer work to make your mission grow. Right. And even though that total number of people might only be a thousand, what they do for you is incredible. And so how do we take our thousands, because we've got more than a thousand, and really activate them to be sort of this force um, 
that helps drive the the growth and the depth of impact. That's some of the interesting work we're exploring right now. Yeah, that's what we call the inspire phase of of that life cycle where you have these people they've they've bought into what you're doing. Um they're excited about what you're doing and just making sure that you don't lose track of them because because they can can really amplify um that message and 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 spread it much farther than even you know an ad spend can can do because it's it's an authentic um champion for your organization yeah and, so true and um and so really keeping those people engaged and leveraging opportunities to help them with with that messaging to help them spread that word um that tends to be kind of some of that that you know that magic magic potion that you can that you can drizzle over the top of this that makes it uh makes it really go go far and wide yeah yeah we've had uh for for many years now we've had our brand ambassadors that um for for years those brand ambassadors like part of their criteria as we looked for them was that they had a a large uh, social following and an engaged social following. Mm-hmm. So you think of, you know, someone like Eric mm-hmm. who, you know, can reach a hundred thousand people with a single post or Whitney Waythor, uh, who has a program on TLC called my big fat, fabulous life, who can, you know, in theory, reach a million people with a single post right. based on her size of following. The truth is that, um, though those people add a lot of value to our conversation that, that, what we're expanding to in terms of our brand ambassadors are the people who can engage, really engage, you know, a hundred people as opposed yeah. to just the celebrity status, because sometimes those very celebrities and Mandy Harvey and Eric and Whitney and JR will tell you this, they're disenchanted with their own audience's response rate, right? Like you follow a celebrity doesn't necessarily mean you're going to engage with them. And so having a combination of that celebrity brand ambassador, but plus those really dedicated brand advocates who've had a life transforming experience. Um, we're expanding kind of a, that ambassador program to include more of those folks right. too, because you, you know, they can really engage with, you know, a hundred people or 10 people and that matters. Yeah. It's a personal one-on-one relationship building. That's, that's just the key to, to marketing. Um, you know, we, we talk a lot about how, how marketing is, that's all it is. It's just relationship building. And whether you're, you're building a, a very quick relationship with, you know, buy this thing that you need, um, or one that, that, you know, requires a lot more trust and a lot more nurturing to, to develop. Um, you know, it's all about making sure you're telling authentic stories and, and, uh, and really bringing value to everybody out there as opposed to just, you know, shouting a message from the mountaintop. Yeah. So true. Yeah, that's very much our philosophy as well. Yeah, it's it's really cool to hear how you're engaging kind of we'll, we'll just call them influencers on on all levels um, because I, th- I think there are a lot of people who are really good at talking to a ton of people at once, and then there are some people who are just experts at, at having these you know very close intimate conversations that that are are incredibly inspirational, and they might not do so well on a big stage, um, and vice versa. Very true. Yeah, it's really cool. I, I love what you guys are doing. I'm 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 really excited to uh 
to you know, follow your journey and see what what's next uh, as you as you kind of try and tackle this this big hairy audacious goal that you have to uh, yeah yeah me too I'm excited about it too yeah I mean I think another place as you kind of think about uh, nonprofits that I think it's under uh, utilized uh, or at least like, sorry is this exploratory phase that we've been in for many years now which is how do you find uh, corporate audiences. Mm-hmm that resonate with your mission and then are willing to tell the stories that you produce to their customer base. So that's a really great opportunity. I think that gets overlooked. I mean, certainly we have a a sort of a brand and a mission that allows for that, Mm -hmm. but um, we've seen amazing exposure for the organization through partners like Wells Fargo or, uh, you know, CoBank or Allstate or Airbnb, you know, these big partners who have a a global audience that um, when they're telling the story to that audience, you get exposure there as well. So this has been something we've been honing and getting better and better at over the past 10 years. Um, But it's something I think that everyone should always explore is where do you, you know, those, those companies are looking for ways to one, make a difference, but also show their customers what they care about and connect with their customers. And and sometimes your nonprofit mission can be that avenue. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, corporate social responsibility is a huge kind of thing that's going on these days. And I think for, for, for the most part, for good, I, I certainly feel that there's always the opportunity to use it as a, you know, as a greenwashing, if you're in trying to get into the environmental space or, or, um, you know, some other kind of PR, uh, bandaid, but when corporations come at that idea of, 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 of really engaging with, with the right nonprofit, um, so making sure that, that there's a, there's mission alignment, um, you, you you can do some really amazing things, um, particularly if there's an audience alignment as well um, within uh, the corporates corporates uh, audience and and the audience that the nonprofit's going after. It it can be uh, really incredible. Yeah, yeah, it really can be. Yeah, we've seen great success across all of our different corporate initiatives, and and also being flexible enough to to adapt to. Uh, mutual goals, right? So if you've got a, a company that, you know, you gotta, you gotta have some flexibility so that you're able to help them with what they're trying to accomplish while still staying focused enough that you're not diverting resources towards something that isn't, you know, mutually aligned. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a challenge. I think that that's one thing, you know, all of us get pretty excited about the opportunity to work with, uh, you know, a big corporate sponsor, but as a nonprofit taking that time to make sure that, that it's a good fit, um, that it's a good match because, um, you know, there could be potential wasted opportunity there. If you, if you, you know, hop on the first person that comes, comes knocking on your door without, without that kind of shared mission or, or some, something that aligns what you do with what they're hoping to achieve. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And and, in our work, um, you know, whether it's, you know, Winnebago or Prudential or um, the Airbnb, Wells Fargo, all these people we work with at the national level, you know, we, we generally find that, um, you know, first and foremost, you want to be mission aligned. Mm -hmm. And that's, that 
that part comes pretty quickly. You can tell if you are, but then the companies are either looking to, there's usually some combination of companies that might want employee engagement opportunities. Mm -hmm. So they may want their employees to volunteer with you. They certainly want to be able to tell good stories to their employees. They want their employees to maybe be engaged at more of a staff level to help craft the marketing message. Mm -hmm. So we have these companies who really are focused on employee engagement. And then we have companies that also want customer engagement, right? And so those are the, those are the companies that are saying, okay, great, we're going to support this. Now what's the story that we can tell? And, um, you know, I always advise other nonprofits to, um, try to get into the marketing budgets of companies uh, because that's where there's a lot of dollars and a lot of exposure for you as an organization. Yep. Um, typically, you know, a company that invests a certain amount in us, if they're really invested in the project is going to put three to 10 times as much money into their own marketing budget to um, leverage whatever they gave to us. Right. So they're going to give a certain amount to us to sponsor, but then they're going to spend a lot of their own resources to help tell the story and make it a success. So yeah. I want to try to find those partners where that's possible. You're not going to always start there. Sometimes you're going to start in their smaller, uh, you know, foundation budgets, but you want to evolve into that marketing budget. Oh, that is just really great insight. I, I hadn't really thought that thought about that, but, but yeah, if you just have somebody who wants to throw, you know, whatever the dollar figure is. So let's just say it's a hundred grand or whatever at a nonprofit as a, as a partner, but they aren't willing to back that up with any sort of marketing spend. Um, it probably should, should, you know, start to make you wonder exactly how committed they are to the, to the partnership. Yeah. Or, you know, I think that it, it's an educational part. Mm -hmm. Like some companies are well into this. They're already doing it on their own. And for some other companies, they're, um, you know, I talked to one this week who was like, oh yeah, we've never really done that direct connection between our CSR and our marketing department, but this seems like a good opportunity. So I think, you know, certainly uh, it's just something to be exploring as you're partnering with companies um, that there is, there are big buckets of dollars and talent to help you. Mm -hmm. if you start to open those marketing doors and the CSR folks are amazing too, as are the foundation folks. And these are all really good people in our experience in these companies, but just kind of realize there are multiple tracks you can be pursuing as you're building that corporate relationship. Um, and the more you can kind of diversify the different departments you're working at and in a company, the, the longer life that partnership might have. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just a, a more mature conversation to be having as you're, as you're negotiating um, with a company to, to come on as their CSR partner. Exactly. Yeah. I love it. I, th I think it's, that's really, that's an amazing insight. I, I'm, I'm happy that you brought that up. Well, I can't believe it's been an, an hour. I'm, I've had such a great time chatting with you today, David. Um, how can, how can people learn more about no barriers and, and, and maybe, maybe take on uh, some opportunities to train with you guys? Yeah, they can go to no barriers, USA dot org and there you can enroll in our programs you can make a donation you can explore more about our philosophy and our mission um, you can get access to the book what's within you there or on amazon um, but no barriers usa.org uh, I, I will put that in the show notes for sure um i love having these conversations and I, I i like talking about things but i also love when people can actually take some action and whether that's you know going outside for a hike or um you know starting their own nonprofit or whatever that action might be i always like to end uh the show with an ask and and that is if if you could have people listening to the show today 
take one action after listening, what, what would you have them do? I would love for you to go by what's within you and follow the principles therein to set a big stretch goal for yourself. Love it. I'm going to go get a copy right now, actually, and I'm excited to, to read it. Thanks so much for being on the show today. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it as well. Have a great day. You too. All right, there you have it. Another great episode of Relish This. Thanks for listening. If you would like to learn more about how to apply the audience engagement cycle to expand your organization's mission, there are two things you can do. Right now, you can go to missionuncomfortablebook.com to download a copy of my book. And while you're there, you can get your purpose-driven marketing score to see where you can unearth some gold for your organization. If you'd like to listen to back episodes of the show or sign up to be a guest, go to relishstudio.com slash podcast. That's it for this week. I'll be back next week for another great episode of Relish This.